Candy Lewis, thank you. Thank you, Ms. Collard. Hi, everyone. Allow me to introduce myself to all my new friends and family. I am Candy Lewis, and I'm the CEO of Positive Results Center. And do I have a story to tell you? I mean, let me tell you something. We all have a story to tell. Some of us are going to speak it out loud. We're going to be in your face. We're going to tell everybody we know. And then some of us are going to be keeping it real quiet and keep it close to our heart. I'm going to share a word. You won't even know what's going on. All you know is that person is over there. And then one day you hear a little something. It might be a little whisper in your ear. It might be an article in the newspaper. Or it could be that everyone knows. And you're going to be like, what? I didn't know that. And that's because it wasn't your time to know. There's always a time place for you to know a little bit of everything. And sometimes it's a time and a place for you not to know a thing. So today (laughs) and uh, every other week coming forward, we're going to bring you a story to tell. And tonight I am bringing my friend, my sister, my prayer partner, my warrior queen. Like, let me tell you something. When I need a bone, I need a wishbone. When I need somebody in my car, my girl, my friend, my sister, this dynamic woman of God, this spider. Kelly froze, y'all. Uh-oh, she's back. Hey, Kelly. All right. So while we wait for Kelly, to come back in. I'm going to tell you a little bit about who I am and who we are. So I'm the CEO of Positive Results Center. And Positive Results Center is a nonprofit organization based in Los Angeles, California, actually Gardena. But we serve Black, Brown, Indigenous people all over the United States. And if you call us and you send us a plane ticket or a check, a Venmo or a cash app, we'll come and see you wherever you are in the world. So I apologize. I might be breaking up, everyone. Um, So bear with me. I'm going to bring my sister Kelly on in here. Um, So Kelly, come on and join us. But let me just finish saying the Positive Results Center is a nonprofit. And we address trauma from a cultural and age perspective. We specialize in teen dating, domestic and interpersonal violence, sexual assault and bullying. And so I'm going to bring Kelly in. I'm going to do some work on the back end and see if I can fix my system. So Kelly, join us and tell us who you are, my sister. Hello, Candy. Thank you so much. I am excited about tonight. I'm excited about the discussion. I'm excited about how we're going to keep it real, keep it authentic with our community. So hello, everyone. My name is Kelly Dillon. I am a long-term, forever will be community partner with the Positive Results Corporation, I mean Center, sorry, the Positive Results Center, But I'm also the executive director of Back to the Basics. 
Um, Back to the Bases is a community empowerment organization. We also are a nonprofit in the uh, mostly in the southeast Los Angeles area. Although, like with Candy, who was in Gardena, we work uh, alongside of so many other powerful organizations um, in the city in, in Los in the county of Los Angeles. Um, we are about education. We're about empowerment. And we're about um, evolving. And so we do that by, um, you know, addressing the issues of interpersonal violence, um, domestic violence, also community violence. And as it relates to making sure that the individuals are healed from the cycles of violence and making sure that they have the resources that they need. So whether that's um, financial empowerment in which connecting them to careers or whether that is mental health and connecting them to mental health. And so that's the reason why sometimes you have to align yourself. A lot of times when people get into these nonprofit organizations, everybody want their own nonprofit. Everybody want their lane and want to claim a territory, but it doesn't even, you know, if we're all have a common goal that we we're trying to um, save our community, save our youth, save our lives, transform our lives. Then they, it's, it's a, I, I'm a spiritual person, right? So you're going, I'm a hood person. I'm a spiritual person. And I'm a, and I'm a business person. So you're going to get a little bit of all of that wisdom in this conversation, but it's a, um, a scripture that says that when two or more gather together in an agreement, Right. And if one can put a thousand a flight, two can put a two can put 10,000 a flight. So what that tells me is that I need to be looking for someone. I need to be looking for someone in the community in which I can partner with, which I can agree with on a particular common goal in order for us to make it happen. And if we can do that together, as opposed to lit to work in a silos. Okay. Trying to be these lone wolves out here. Want everybody want to be the best. Everybody want to, you know. Then I think that we can do better to save our communities. And so that's why I'm with Miss Candy Lewis um, tonight, y'all. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. You know what? That's right, Kelly. Um, you know we have a tendency to, and we just talked about that earlier today, didn't we? Yeah. That. Um, Instead of us having a baseball team, we are the team. We're doing it all left and right. And so we're glad that everyone has joined us today. And this is our very first podcast. So we're excited. And thank you all. We see all of you who have joined this call. And we want you to come back because the next session is going to be even more dynamic. But tonight we're going to be talking about a story to tell. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had an event, and it was called A Story to Tell. We invited 12 survivors who were thrivers to share their truth. And you'll hear Kelly and I talk a difference between telling the story and then telling the truth. And that is because, see, I can argue with your story, but I can never argue with your truth. However, if I'm sharing someone's truth, then it's a story that I have to tell because it's not mine. And we have to make sure that we are first respectful of that person and have their permission. And so the reason we're talking about domestic violence, sexual assault and bullying is because it happens in our community more than any other community. 
I was listening to the last call and they were talking about why are things happening in the Black community and how we have a tendency to, I don't know, experience some of the worst things. And one of the things that I know for a fact, and Kelly, I want you to, to talk to me about this. Why is it that we hold secrets? Why is it that we don't tell people what's going on and that um, when we do, somebody's going to say, you're a liar. That didn't happen. Yeah. Um, I'm going to share just one perspective and I'm going to pitch it back to you that I think that the reason why most of us from the, especially from the African-American community or any type of community, mostly community of color, is that if I told somebody my secret, it's like for, so we already are dealing with having either an abuser, having someone who was like a monster to us. So just say if I'm young and it's an uncle or if it's a father or stepfather or a stepmother or whoever, but I already have like a monster that's living with me in the house. Right. And then I'm also fearful of the people that I may call that may come in and also do harm to me. So whether if that's law enforcement, whether if that's, you know, DP, no, excuse me, DCFS, right? So it's like, we was told like what goes on in this house stays in this house. Well, we know that that is a, a, is, is a tactic in order to keep a person not only in fear, but in bondage. You get what I'm saying? It keeps you in bondage. But I think the reason why, uh, most people t- t- keep the secret, especially, you know, people of color, is that because if I call someone um, that I need in order to help and assist me in this situation, then I got to worry about the police coming in or either I have to worry about another entity coming in, possibly harming or hurting or separating me from the people or the children or whoever that I love the most. So I'm caught between two evils of whether or not I'm going to call and seek help or tell somebody else and get the help or either continue to deal with the situation because at least I know there's a familiarity and, and, and there's a, there's still a form of like um, routine almost that I can deal with over here as opposed to not knowing what the outcome may be over here. Yeah, that's real. That's real, real. You never know who, who has a, an agenda, or what that agenda is, how it's going to impact you. And when we're talking about these things, I think it's important that we remember something that I read. I read this amazing, I'm trying to find this post, but it's something like life hits you differently when you were raised on love versus raised on survival. Mm, wow. You know, That's my life. That's my life. And then I want to go back a little bit when you were talking about a story to tell and who gets a right to tell it. Right. So for my uh, at this particular time, the space that I'm in right now, um, even though I've been very open about the situations that have happened in my life and I've shared and poured out my life. But at the same time, what people don't know that on the back end, some people is offended by my story. Right. It's my story. And I have a right to tell it. I have to, I have the right to tell it in the passion that comes, the, the hurt that comes, the, um, the anger that may come with it and what my truth is, right? Like you can't argue with my truth. If I believe that that happened and if I'm telling you, this is how it made me feel, it's my story, right? But I got, had to get to a point where 
I was like, I'm done apologizing for telling my story because it's, it's my, it's, it's my story of survivorhood. It's my story of triumph. It's my story of, um, of persevering, of winning. Right. But you might not hear because, you know, depending on what your role was in my story. Right. Depending on what your role was in my story. Of course, you may not like what you hear. You know what I'm saying? But so sometimes a lot of us, we don't tell our stories because we worried about and that's fine. Don't get me wrong. If you if you is if if you feel like, hey, listen, I don't want to bring any additional hurt, trauma, offense on my family, on my mama, on my kids. So I'm just not going to tell the story. And then that that's a choice that you made. That's fine. That's cool. But I'm also trying to encourage other people out there that who who do have a story to tell that do not allow that keeping a secret. Like it's almost like keeping a secret, like what goes in this house stays in this house. Do not allow that to be the reason why you, especially if you're in a place of safety, especially if you're in a place of healing, that you do not allow that to be the reason why you don't tell your story. Because somebody, because the fact of your your fear of how somebody else will respond is keeping you silent. That's that's still keeping you in silence when everything inside of you is saying that it's ready for that story to come out. Right. And and let me um let me tell you one of the reasons why. I think this was the main reason why a story to tell was birthed. And the story to tell was actually birthed back in 2012. I was talking in a room of people about domestic violence. And this little person, who was a grown person, a grown man, came up and said, all you people. I was like, what are you talking about? All you people who have been abused. I said, well, what does that look like to you, all these people? And he said, hmm, it's definitely a woman of color. And she probably did something to get knocked upside the head or to be put in her place. And at first I was going to figure out how am I going to hurt this person? (laughs) And then I had to grab myself. I said, Candy, don't do that. This is actually a call to action. This is actually a good thing because, you know, a lot of people don't want to say their true feelings. I enjoyed that they did because it allowed me to think and say, now, how many people were thinking like this person and why are they thinking like this? And I realized that they have no clue what violence and abuse looks like, especially to someone who has experienced it. They have no idea why people stay in relationships, how it impacts them, how it impacts their family and friends. And so we decided to host our first Uh, Face of Violence and Survival, which is an art exhibit that happened way back in 2013. And that has morphed over time. We've had events in the mall. We've had events at the California Endowment and um, in a beautiful facility in Inglewood. And then last at the Allen House in Los Angeles, which is a historic 8,000 square foot home. And it was beautiful to see the surviving thrivers come in and talk about their experiences because they wanted people to know exactly 
what they went through to help someone else. And it also gave them an opportunity to share the truth in the way that they wanted to share it. And I think that's important that we allow people spaces and places to be authentic in the way that is good and comfortable for them, as opposed to how we feel something should show up. Amen. What so, you think, Kelly? Amen. So, so I, I'm, I'm, I love the way we vibe, right? But for those that know us, know that we've been doing this a long time, right? We've been rocking together for a long time. So I love the way we vibe, but you came down my street when you were talking about places and spaces, you, you slid down, you slid down the East side when you said that, <laughs> All right. I know you live on the West side. I live on the East side, but you came down the East side when you said that. So here's the thing. I also but wait, y'all, we two miles from each other. I'm on the West side, but I'm only right. two miles from her. Right. Okay. But Candy stay on the other side of the tracks. <laughs> You literally stay on the other side of the track. She she over there in, on the other side of the tracks, right? So so when to talk about places and spaces, I also want to see us make more space for those who have recovered from being the abuser and creating the harm. Because those who have created the harm and have created abuse, most of those individuals, because I also work with um, the abuser, those who cause, who cause harm, most of them have been victimized themselves. But because they have been um, under uh, punitive, um, I'm going to say, you know, having to deal with punitive matters of the harm that they've caused, right? They they are not so received, and they are more shameful and fearful about coming out with their story. So when we talk about, I know that most of the time when we in these domestic violence spaces, it's predominantly females, it's predominantly women, or those who are, um, you know, are gender specific, or even in LGBT communities. But it's usually it leans to the feminist side or the feminine, like the gender feminine side of of being the victim and those who are mostly controlling the narrative of what domestic violence looks like what it is but there's an and i'm not saying that the abuse when i say the abuser or those that commit um harm i'm never saying he she they whatever because i always say because um because i have a few people that work in the field that i work with like we said we deal with community violence and so i always say that I, although I might be a victim of domestic violence, I was also a perpetrator of community violence, meaning that whether if I was fighting other girls, um, fight, you know, or whether, you know, if it was sometimes um, um, community against communities or whatever like that, I, you know, growing up in LA, growing up in Watts, um, those things happen. And so I had to engage in violent behaviors or whatever, but then when I came home, I was very much a victim of domestic violence or uh, or sibling abuse or whatever was going on at the time. So a lot of times people can get caught up in that cycle, but we have to create and make the space for those who are have recovered, who have been healed and also is strong enough to talk about their journey in domestic violence 
of, of maybe having once committed harm on someone and now is on the advocacy side or on the heel side or have made the necessary changes. So what do you feel about that? Like, how, do you feel that that within the domestic, but those that for survivors, and I know that you we have to have places so survivors can feel comfortable and also um, and lift them up. But at the same time, I feel like all should be received. So what you, how you feel about that, Candy? I'm definitely with the all should be received. You know, I remember when I first started doing this work um, back in 2010, and most people were really talking about, oh, if you're in an abusive situation, you got to go, you got to go, and that person's got to go to jail. And I started thinking about, like, first off, why is someone abusive in the first place? And there's several answers to that. But as I started doing my research, I realized that almost uh, almost all of us have been birthed into um, a violent situation. So when we talk to uh, women who are carrying children and tell them, baby, sing to your baby and read to your baby and talk to your baby and rub your stomach, well, they're hearing the violence, they're hearing the abuse, they're experiencing it, and our kids are we're grooming our children for violence we're calling our sons and our daughters stupid mofo dumb mofo um you know and we're hitting them as their as their children um and then there's a lot of other violence that they're experiencing in addition to there may be some other underlying concerns and so i think that everyone should have an opportunity to experience life and then heal from that if they are willing to do the work, then why not welcome them in? It's just like people who have gone to uh, jail or prison. We don't have to continue to keep them in jail right. without them being behind bars. Right. Once you do your time, you've done your time. So let's welcome you home, provide the resources and tools, and that includes domestic violence, and let's see how you work it out. Now, if you continue to act the food, if you continue to be abusive, then now, you know, you your your privileges have been revoked mm-hmm. and you're going to have to do some consequences for your actions. There's positive and there's negative. So we have to make sure that if if you want to be accepted and received and let's say yes. OK, let's say yes, you were very abusive to a person or a group of people. And maybe even community violence, as you said, because a lot of times when there is domestic violence and um, abuse, there is also community violence as well. And so if you are willing to do the work and make a change, I'm welcoming welcoming you in. And you and I know we already have some partners in the community that speak very plainly about the abuse that they they wreaked havoc on our community and now they're doing amazing things so let me just say this none of us are are, none of us are innocent we have all done some shady undercover nonsense (laughs) that we don't want the world to see look at here let me tell you something my mama's on this call and if I was to pull back the covers she'd be like adorable you did that Uh, yeah I did it mama (laughs) 
Don't let this little uh, smile and this little this little face say, oh, she's so sweet. Um, there have been times I wasn't so sweet. I wasn't so nice. I wasn't so cute. I was dirty down. I was a mess. So people yeah. gave me a second chance. Everybody deserves a second chance and sometimes a third, fourth, and fifth chance. Right. I'm glad that you were transparent about saying that I know I've... I, I wasn't always innocent, right? And mm-hmm. so I, I want to kind of speak to that in the cycle of domestic violence and domestic abuse, right? Um, I think that what doesn't get acknowledged enough is sometimes when when I w- is is how the physical what excuse me what leads up to the physical what leads up to the physical, right? There is no way that I can call you a bunch of bees, broke asses, um, tell them, tell you that you ain't nothing. Your sex is all of this is trash. Um, you, you, you ain't going to be nothing like your daddy. Um, that's why I like your brother better or whatever it is I got going on <laughs> that, I, you know, it's, it's no way that I can tell my partner tell somebody I love, tell them these things, right? Without possibly provoking the rage, the anger, triggering the hurt in them, right? Yeah. We have to acknowledge sometimes in, because I think that a lot of times through media, through Hollywood, we see abusers as these diabolical people who sit and plot of how to, um, you know, pow- have power control and to torture their their wives or their husbands or their partners or, or stalk them or whatever they do, right? It's this deranged type person. And that is not what most domestic dispute and domestic abuse and domestic violence situations look like, especially when I'm, when I have to educate those who come in after they've been court ordered because the police then came to the house and now they got to have a court order um, class. That is not mostly what started it. You have the wife who is throwing dishes or throwing or, or trying to get into the cell phone of the the husband because she thinks he's cheating and so now they're wrestling over the cell phone and then she starts biting him to get the cell phone and then he starts punching her to get her from biting her and then it's this crazy type scenario situations but then when the police is called or something happened or some type of intervention and then now he has to take a class or whatever or she has to take a class it's like now they're labeled as this 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 cruel abuser when most of the cases it started off with mutual aggression, mutual abuse, mutual disrespect. It's just that somebody got the 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 the, the shorted in the stick when 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 the fist got the fly in a situation like that i want to i want to wait a minute hold on kenny let me just go into this one situation i'm gonna pass it back to you and i know i might be touching on a touchy situation but it's media and we're on social media so i'm speaking on a media type situation i was i was watching the chris brown documentary i was Mm -hmm. watching chris brown documentary Mm -hmm. and when you actually listen to the scenario and he was allowed to share 
the all the moments leading up to the whole situation, he was repeatedly hit, kicked, bit before he retaliated. You right. get what I'm saying? Right. But this was something that had consistently happened between the two of them. But yet still, he was villainized through the media because society wanted to see this pretty girl as the victim. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Not right. understanding that she was just as, as aggressive towards um, her partner as well. And I think that that's all, that kind of always happens. And so I'm glad that you said that I, and then um, I'm glad that you said that I wasn't always nice. I wasn't always the good girl, you know, that everybody may perceive me to be. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I just want to kind of touch on that too, is that sometimes, you know, we have to look at our behaviors and are they, uh, just because no fists are flying yet, yeah. but how abusive or how healthy is this relationship? Right. And you know what, you, you hit on something. Uh, we don't even think about how words impact us. So I I did a program once for some young boys and I asked them to write on one side of paper, all the things that they had been called. Mm -hmm. And when I finished reading what all these little boys had been called and they were between the ages of nine and 17, they were all black and Brown and they had been called every stupid mofo in town. They were talked about the size of their penis. They were talked about, the size of their brains, they were top, they were called everything but a child of God. And I wanted to cry. And then I asked them, well, who called you all of these things? And they said their mama, their daddies, brothers, sisters, cousins, teachers, preachers, neighbors, and so-called friends. And then the last question what I asked them was, well, what kind of man do you want to be known as? And then I asked them, so what direction are you walking? Are you walking in this direction of the stupid mofo? Or are you walking in this other direction? Well, most of them weren't walking in that direction because they didn't have the path to go down that way. They'd only been given the path of um, of being stupid, of being dumb, of being ignorant and trifling, because that is all they knew. And so we have to learn how to change the narrative, change the conversation, change the words that we're using, you know, and yes, words can start uh, what would normally be a, a pretty okay relationship can change it into violence. And I remember the first time I was actually called in because I don't normally go in like you, Kelly. I want to do the awareness and the prevention, but called into a situation because I was working in the community and there was a man who had just come back home. Uh, He'd been home maybe about three months from being in prison and he was trying to find a job. There was a domestic violence situation going on and luckily somebody said, you know what, I I think we we can save this person and they don't have to go to jail. But what happened was he came home from work or excuse me, he came home from trying to find a job and his female partner was all on him. He called him every stupid mofo in town and told him he wasn't S-H-I-T. And it just went on and on and on, all because he didn't come home with any money. 
and he didn't come home with a job and he smelled like he had been getting high and she wanted to know, well, where's my weed? You didn't give me no weed. You just out here doing all of this. And she slapped him and he was good before until she slapped him. And then he grabbed her. And when he grabbed her, it was just like to get her to stop. And they started fussing and then they got into a fight. And they didn't want to arrest him. And I'm thankful for those officers who called me because they knew I was in the neighborhood. But oftentimes we don't realize how this community sets people up for failure, especially people who are are systems involved, um, whether they are people in foster care who have don't have a home they've been aged out or someone who has returned home from the community or excuse me someone who's returned home from jail and they can't get a job and it's stressful saying look because there was a time when I quit my job and I decided okay a year later let me go back and I think I applied for 100 jobs and I didn't get one that's kind of actually was God moving me from where I was to be here today but I thought about that like here's this person who has returned home and they're not able to get a job. They're trying to take care of their family. Their partner is blaming them for everything. Um, and I understand why they were, you know, trying to trying to smoke a joint. Like, look, how am I going to deal with this? Because we use substances as a way just to cope. Right. If I need to, and you know, some people are like, oh, why are they smoking weed? Uh, some of us got a substance, it's called coffee. Mm-hmm. Some of us have substances that's called food. Mm-hmm. Some of us have substances that are called sex. You know, for whatever whatever you need, you're going to get. Right. And so we have to we have to work together uh, and create a, create a new dynamic so that we can prevent and end violence. It's yeah. possible, but not until yep, ice cream to joy. That used to be my substance. I can't deal with it no more. Um, but we have to figure out a way that we are allowing people a little humanity, um, a little um, patience, uh, some self-respect. We have to provide people with jobs. And I, who is it that says? that we can stop violence with jobs. Yeah. It's not that's, homeboy. That's, no, that's big. Well, yeah, that's homeboy and big John. And big John. Yeah. Big John, Harry L and homeboys in the industry. Right. right. He, they, but big John and them say that we can get them to, if we can get them to pick, put down a gun and pick up a tool. We'll save a life. Save a yeah. life, baby. Yeah, and that's teaching people how to like that. That goes with the empowerment part, right? Is that mm-hmm. when people are educated and they understand what they are doing, a lot of times the reason why people are caught up in the cycle of whatever behaviors that are um, detrimental to them is because they have a lack of education of what is happening or why they are stuck or how like you know what's going on but once usually they're educated right then they have you can that's where like that's your specialty right which is that that brings the awareness it gives that oh my god i'm a i've been in domestic violence oh my god i'm an abuser oh my god like i got bad habits like you know whatever and it's like then you can begin to deal with it um like okay so like it's said expect 
So, oh, so Tiffany says, Tiffany and Thomas says, expect substance use where, hold on, she it dropped. It says, expect substance use where you see PTSD. Ex- expect unhealthy coping where you see any type of trauma. Healthy self-nurturing can be learned, practiced, and normalized. And that's what Tiffany said. Thank you, Tiffany DuVernay. Um, is is and I was going to go back to that too when you were talking about the substances because you know whether it's to me it's like a form of trauma bonding right yes, it's like absolutely. that that those layers like there it's not, so a lot of times people feel that oh well if they go to substance abuse I mean if they go to um, domestic violence classes and he goes to batters intervention treatment you know and then they learn how to do this and then they can come back um you that's fine if you're dealing with um healthy like high functioning healthy individuals with no vices <laughs> you know what i'm saying that's yeah. an easy fix within a year for those that can you know get some classes whatever but you but you touched on it about the substance abuse because then you you add layers how we got together is because we like to drink how we got together is because we smoke meth together how we got together is because you know what i'm saying like you know yeah. whatever the situation is that that's how we bonded and right. so then you got that layer of bonding and then you got the fact that because we almost got arrested and mm-hmm. or either when we was out there trying to cop some dope, somebody almost killed us and then we survived it together. All right. of that creates that trauma bonding, that trauma mm-hmm. bonding and which creates what allows us to be more and more invested and emotionally involved with this individual. And then that's when it's like, oh, I can't let her go because she need me like she out there on the street by herself and what she going to do without me. And you know what I'm saying? But, but she out there on the street by herself. Without you. Without you. With, with, with her eye almost hanging out of the side because you didn't, you didn't, you know, you didn't pounded it or, or he needs me, you know, he needs me because, you know, um, you know, I'm the one who take care of all his business. And let's not forget that sometimes people bond, out of mental health conditions. Yeah. I, I have seen, I have, I had a, I had a, a friend that, that these two friends, they was together and she, she was in the relationship with him, her, you know, they kind of got together because it was more so like she has, um, you know, bi- bipolar schizophrenia and I've been diagnosed with uh, panic and anxiety disorders. And we don't, nobody understands us like we understands us. Like, you know what I'm saying? That was what she said. No, nobody understands this like we understand it. And so there's a bonding due to the mental health issues is if I leave this situation, who going to accept my drinking? Who going to accept my drug habit? Who going to accept my mental health issues and and episodes? You get what I'm saying? And so sometimes it's it's, it's not just as easy as um, us learning these healthy behaviors there's these layers of things that as um, a couple and as an individual, we have to work through in order to get to a place of understanding how to love ourselves or how to strengthen ourselves as we, as we do um, to bring in another partner. Yeah. And you know what? We also use people um as scapegoats, you know, not not scapegoats. What's the word I'm looking for? You know, we're using people as excuses. Mm-hmm. So I can't stop drinking uh, because, you know what, if I stop drinking, 
then they won't they won't love me like they used to. We won't be able to do this. And like you say, that that's trauma bonding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let me kind of address the PTSD in the room. Because mm-hmm. I just want us to stop saying PTSD. Because P stands for post. Mm-hmm. There is nothing about this world right now that we're dealing in this called post. <laughs> we are walking through trauma every single day. Right every now. Every single day. Right this now. conversation is traumatizing. <laughs> when we turn this off and we get on the news and we watch how many people were killed and, and, and what countries in the world are going to war and who's starving and, and how many people have just died from COVID or caught COVID? And here, um, our governor is, where is he at? Switzerland or someplace, and he got COVID. That's too much. If we start thinking about all the stuff that we went through last year, and now, because of COVID, now we have more people that are homeless. We have more people that are starving. We have uh, people, the, the number of shootings and killings is out of control. You know, I was reading an article the other day and it said that um, we had a 20 year low for the last 20 years. The numbers have been going down. And over the last two years, the um, the number of shooting and killings have drastically increased. And when we talk about domestic violence and sexual assault, man, let me tell you something. Every time you see a triple murder or a triple homicide or a suicide murder, that's domestic violence up in that piece. Don't be don't be fooled thinking like, oh, they just went in that office building and they were mad. Somebody was having sex with somebody. Somebody was in a relationship and they went in there intentionally to kill someone. And so you just don't know the time, the day. And so this is continued traumatic stress disorder. This is not post. Yeah. So so as we talk about a story detail, so going back to, to, to a story to tell, right? As we talk about that, usually, you know, most people that we try to ask to tell their stories of all what we have discussed right here is because they're at a place of healing. They've, I mean, or they're at a place of either feeling that they're on the other side of the abuse or maybe the relationship between them and their partners or their family became better, Right. So I just want to kind of speak to like life after domestic violence, you know what I'm saying? As we get to the story to tell, right? So I just want to say like, for me, you know, um, my, you, uh, uh, for those who may know my story and I won't get into the details of it tonight or, you know, whatever, but hopefully as I come back to co-host with Candy, we'll spit a little bit here and there, but, you know, sitting, it, 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 my domestic violence situation ended, you know, landed me in prison, right? Because just the whole, the, the tragedy of the whole relationship. And so it, while, while in prison, you know, I'm sitting there trying to understand, like, how did I get here? How did I end up here? In which I hear a lot of um, those who take my classes, they'll say like, man, I'm, I was Miss Kelly. I was in the um, holding tank and I'm just laying there with a whole bunch of other things. Like, man, how did, how did this happen? How did I get here? You know, um, good, good men and women, they business educated, um, you know, have money, um, you know, whatever like that. It's like, they're not what, you know, the, what's what the stereotype of what you think a wife beater you know is and what they wear and what they look like these are very business type individuals but 
I was standing there like, man, like, how did I get here? And I really, it, it took a lot for me to, even though I was, I was in prison, I was away from my abuser, I, you know, my, but I was also away from my children, you know? And so it was, it was painful that the rela- a relationship rocked my whole entire world like that and almost robbed me of life and, and it robbed me of freedom. But to move forward to the other side is that it's crazy because the whole time I was in prison, we never received like domestic violence classes and support or treatment or therapy or mental health. No one that, and mind you, as we speak on it, Candy, that 80% of the women, especially women that's in prison are there behind some form of trauma and abuse or protecting themselves from it. And so, but um, I was sitting there and I was like, oh my God, we never got, I, like no, no one, I don't have no one to talk to. So it wasn't until I came home and actually started working in the domestic violence field that I was actually getting my healing while I was yet teaching. Yeah. I was strong enough at the point to be able to encourage, support, love, and educate up and make aware have give awareness to other individuals but I hadn't yet received my wholeness and healing from it and it wasn't until I was actually teaching domestic violence classes that I was I was like basically I was distributing the medicine and then I was being allowed to take it at the same time and so um and that's when my healing came so for those who you know that I that I work with and I shared them and I was so I was so open with them. I had to let them know like, Hey, listen, this is a true circle of survivorship and we are healing together. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm healing with you, but I want to encourage people who, you know, and just encourage those that's out there that maybe um, that are professionals and don't want to admit or to acknowledge that they are in an unhealthy relationship or yet maybe going through abuse while they're even, you know, in, working in these types of fields. But that, um, but that there, there's support that's out there. There's support that's out there. The support is confident, is confidential. And it's, and it's nothing like, um, you know, saying, if you feel that you are efficient in the work you're doing, doing, I mean, doing, but yet and still you're working in brokenness, right? Imagine who you can save. Imagine all of what you can do and how true um, the work you do, how more, how more authentic the work would be if you yourself took the medicine. You know what Uh. I'm saying? Kelly, that is real. And not only authentic, but effective. You know, you just reminded me of our workshop, Unmasked. And this is so important for people to remember that we all walk around here, not only with a story to tell, but um, the ones that don't tell our story and even the ones that do. We have these masks on and not a mask. There's multiple masks. So, you know, like I I have the mask of adorable when I'm with my mom. I got the mask of sometimes a mad woman when I'm with my husband or sometimes a happy woman. Um, when I'm at work, you know, I got that supervisor mask on. Um, I also have the mama mask on. And sometimes I'm in a room full of people that I cannot absolutely stand. 
and I'll come in with a smile on my face and you would never know it. Stop, stop talking about our staff meetings like that. Don't <laughs> say that because Pamela and Marcella are on. You're going to make them think that we're talking about them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not y'all. <laughs> but um, the thing is, is that when, you know, when, as, so some people are providers. Kelly and I are healers. And there's some other people that are on this call with us tonight that are healers, we're not just doing this work like for a paycheck. We're not just doing this work like, okay, because we've been called. Yes, that's sister friend, man. We got that too, Thomas. Uh, We've been called to do this work. And sometimes, you know, we just keep going and going and going, but we have to always remember that we're not dealing with people who are victims. We're dealing with people who've been victimized. We're dealing with people who have real live hearts. And sometimes, you know, so Kelly, you said you were taken from your family and your children. So your life was impacted. Your children's life were impacted. Your family's life was impacted. And the community was impacted. There are so many people that are impacted by um, what happened to us. And so that's why we have to come back and have these conversations about a story to tell. Because it's not just about the domestic violence. It's really about that you survived it and you've lived through it. And sometimes you put in the work and you've gone from being a victimized to being a survivor to being a thriver. That's when you kick butt, take names and numbers like, look, I'm doing this. I'm doing the work. And your work may look different. Your work may look like Kelly and ours. It might look like Miss Bernita, who's joining us tonight. She is a a warrior queen. She is just everything. Um, And then it it might look like the person who is, um, she's a mom or he's a father and they're cooking meals for the community and they're just listening to people. You know, we could all be warrior kings and queens by just having that heart and that compassion and putting this thing, little thing called empathy uh, into our conversations because you know, as uh, Miss Bernita says, our resiliency shines through. Absolutely, it does. We have to remember that people who are hurt, and I thank you all. Everybody's been saying hurt people, hurt people. Um, they're people. They have experiences. And we have to learn how to not judge people and not put, you know, we have to remember that each one of us, um, we might put our, our jaws on with our right foot or our left foot or maybe don't have no feet. I don't know. But we're all the same. When you pull back this layer, this epidermis here, this little skin thing, we're all the same. It's just that our experiences are different. And so that's where the humanity comes in. And we have to really, as I say, let's just tell this, tell our story. Because we all have stories. And I'll tell you one thing. All the things that I went through. Um, I went through working at a company who hated me. And I was stubborn. Like, okay, everybody knows. Candy stubborn. Don't say a thing, Kelly. Don't say a thing, Kelly. <laughs> I'm stubborn. I can be hard-headed. 
um, and I wanted my way. And so I worked at this company, even though I knew that they hated me because I was going to be stubborn. I'm going to show them exactly what I can do and how good I can do it. And I did. I showed them. And guess what? I lost myself. I was, I was a mess. I had, I was looking like I was 102 years old. Um, I felt horrible and I became depressed. I had a complete mental health breakdown because I wasn't even authentic to myself at that time. And I was just lost. But here's the beauty of that. I was so lost that when I found myself and I was able to, and I didn't just find myself, the spirit actually moved me to find myself. The spirit walked through me and said, Candy, you can't do this alone. And I asked for someone, my Holy Spirit, uh, Father God, Mother Earth, and our ancestors to forgive me and allow me to make this change so that I can be here with you all tonight to have this conversation. And I talk about, you know, some of the things that I went through just because I know that somebody else is listening and they'll be like, Candy, you did that. You experienced that. Maybe I can too. And that's when, you know, that's what really the story to tell is. How are you impacting somebody else? Because somebody else needs to hear your story. Somebody else needs to hear your truth. Somebody else needs to just see that you are brave enough to say it and say to yourself, like, man, I can, I can, I can leave this abusive, I can leave this abusive relationship. I can decide today that I'm not going to commit suicide. I'm going to commit today to put this joint down, this drink down, this uh, syringe down, or whatever the case is. Thomas said, a real life person with a real heart who experienced, who has experienced trauma and is now hurting others would benefit from healing and love. There are alternatives to putting humans in cages. Yes. 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 Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. So I I, want to hear like, as we move forward, as we move forward and you move forward with this series of a story to tell, I really would like to hear the stories of men, women, and even some youth that may are strong, bold, courageous enough to tell their stories. And like you said before, that healing can come in a form of maybe, you know, through education and awareness, or maybe through you went to prison and stuff, and then you found this out, or you, you may be thriving and healing because you got your own business, you know, or you, you know, you have some form of entrepreneurship. Um, I know I have a friend on here, which is my Kui Kui. My Kui Kui, she's, uh, I love her to death. That's my partner. She's my su- surviving circle, sister circle. And um, I love her so much. And she's always supported everything I do. I try to support her whenever she she shows up. But she has, you know, her part of her healing and discovering herself is, you know, finding her, her ways of entrepreneurship and understanding that healing is a journey. It's not just because you, you're just not going to be, you know, miraculously. Some people may be re- miraculously hold. I want to, I don't want to take away the miracles that has happened in people's life, but for some, it, most of us is it, it may be a journey. And it's also about evolving. 
because when you've when you've lost your identity, as Candy said, in a relationship, whether that the, that dysfunctional relationship was her job, or whether the dysfunctional relationship was her partner, a lot of times we we lose ourselves. So it may take ten years. If you was in a ten year relationship, it may take ten years for you to rediscover what do I really like, what ice cream I really like, what color really I feel like really looks good on me. You know, I might not even like the beach. I might like the the park, you know, so, you know, it's about discovery and we want to hear, we want to inspire, we want to change. We want to hear from other individuals who are willing to share their stories and share how they move through the domestic violence into a place of healing. And on that note, I want everyone to know that you can reach us at info at prc123.org. Send us an email and let us know that you want to join this conversation so that we could hear your story to tell. Um, we want to celebrate the work that you're doing. We want people to know all of the blessings that are there because we know that each one of us has been impacted. One of the things that um, my late pastor, E.L. Williams, would say is that every one of us has received a gift. Some of us have received multiple gifts, but just that one gift, it's that one gift that actually can change someone's life. And we only have a few minutes to go, but I want to say, Kelly, thank you so much for joining me as my co-host, my sister. Um, Y'all, let me tell you something. You have no idea who's in your life and why they're there. Because I actually met Kelly in 2009, but it wasn't until 2017, 2007, 2018, that I found out that Kelly has actually been in my life all my life <laughs> as um, a best friend and sister to my nephew who had passed away 10 years before I had even met Kelly. So that's another story to tell. I thank you all. Kelly, do you have any final things to say before we close this out? You know, I want to say it's your story to tell. And don't Mm. let nobody tell you how to tell it. That's what I want to say. It is your story. That is so good, Kelly. Mm. It is your story. Ladies and gentlemen, you have your story. Whether you tell it or not, it's up to you. But know that you are loved, you are respected, you are appreciated, and you are a blessing. I'm Candy Lewis. This is Kelly Dillon. This is the story to tell. We are PRC. And again, you can reach us at info at PRC123.org. Or you can go to our website, www.PRC123.org. Sign up for our newsletter. Send us a note. Let us know how you um, thought about this conversation and what other ideas and conversations you'd like to hear from us coming soon. We appreciate you. Have a good evening, everyone. And thank you for joining us. Candy, you did a fabulous job. I knew that you would do Kelly, thank you so much. You guys are the rider rider. So thank you. And folks, this is Intentional Talk Radio Network. You can find this and all of the broadcasts on all of your fav- favorite podcast platforms, itrnradio.com. Thank you for joining us. Be with us on Sunday for another great show on the best of us and prayer call. Have a good evening and be- take care. Good night.